For December 6th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 288, The Magical Quality of the Magic Box. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, California, the bleeding edge of America. It's been a while since I said it. I wanted to bring it back. I'm trying to make bleeding edge happen. I'm Matthew Rather, here with the panel to talk about Netflix. Netflix giveth, Netflix taketh away. Blessed be the name of Netflix. Uh, <laughs> January the 1st saw a lot of content expiring. The, what that even means, I, I think, bears some scrutiny because in what sense do, do movies expire? Does content expire? And what kind of terrible new world have we entered where we have to be concerned about a thing like that? Um, uh, but also a number of films, uh, new films are available, uh, on Netflix and, uh, we've distributed, uh, a list of these among the panel panel, your question tonight, what is the new film on Netflix or new show? What is the new, um, streaming property on Netflix that you are most excited seeing now that, uh, January 1st has come and gone. I'm double checking my Skype window because I got alphabetical order wrong last time and thus failed the first grade. Uh, but I think that first in the alphabet, drink, is Peter Fenzel. Thanks very much, Matt. You know, Matt, there are priorities and there are priorities. And if you had asked me this earlier today, I would be clearly able to tell you what movie I'm most excited to watch now that it's on Netflix Instant. But you know what I did? I watched it. I watched it as soon as I possibly could. That's a little movie. Well, it's a big movie. Well, you be the judge. A little big movie called Big Trouble in Little China. And all I can say is uh, you guys sit tight. Keep the home fires burning. And uh, if we're not back by dawn, call the president. Uh, but um, I love this movie so much. It's horribly, horribly offensive in so many ways uh, from the soundtrack. The only thing that makes it socially acceptable to watch in this, like, um, you know, urbane, in my own state of urbane hipster guilt, uh, or urban hipster guilt, it's not even urbane, is that it's so self-deprecating the entire time that you're watching it. Uh, and it bears no illusion uh, towards any sort of propriety. But yes, it's a hilarious comedy with Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall and all the greatest Asian actors because they then gave them all the other parts that were in any movies in the <laughs> 80s. Um, uh, it conflates all sorts of Asian people mercilessly and without question. Uh, it's about wizards who live in Chinatown. So if you haven't seen Big Trouble in Little China, so directed by John Carpenter, I highly recommend it. But I can't say it's the one I'm most excited about because my hunger is sated. I've already watched it today and I'm not going to watch it again tomorrow like maybe in another six months, but who knows what Netflix is going to give or take away from them. Uh, and so then I'll have to say that for the one I'm most excited about, is there are a couple movies that I've done a lot of, I'm an improv comedian, as some of you know, uh, I do a lot of improv shows, uh, and there's some scenes from movies that I parody a lot 
in improv shows, and uh, or that I recall a lot or reference a lot in improv shows. One of my favorite characters to play in improv shows is Falcor the Luck Dragon, where I use my hands <laughs> as the mustache, right? And I have somebody stand behind me while I like squat down. It's like, with luck, we'll get to the Piggly Wiggly, like that sort of thing. Um, but of course, The NeverEnding Story is not one of these movies that's just been added to Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's not on Netflix, but if it might be, you know, you never know. Uh, but it wasn't added recently. But the number one movie that I can say without hesitation, I have done scenes from the most often in improv shows is now on Netflix Instant. It is a little movie that I like to call Ghost because that is what it is called. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Ghost. It's pretty cutting edge from 1990. Um, have, you, have you seen Ghost, Mark? Uh, Matt? I guess I can't talk to people I, who haven't introduced I haven't that. seen it, oh, no. Okay. I, I just know that you it involves Ghost? Patrick Swayze. Patrick Sway me gently back and forth. Z. Oh, man. I've done so many scenes where I've gone up behind someone and made pottery. It's just the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the best. It's like the best scene ever. Ghost is so great. Okay, uh, yeah, I know the pottery Ghost. scene, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and as Belinky would no doubt point out were he here, it's important to remember that in many of the scenes – well, I can't give that away. I can't give it away. All I know, I'll just watch the movie. Whoopi Goldberg's in it. Patrick Swayze's in it. Uh, sometimes uh, – Whoopi, Patrick Swayze inhabits Whoopi Goldberg's body, and sometimes the movie reminds you of this, and sometimes it neglects to tell you, so it makes certain scenes rather awkward. But uh, but I highly recommend Ghost. I was like, I'm like I'm like reluctant to give spoilers for this thirty year thirty year old movie at this point, thirty four year old movie, uh, which is of course a shot for shot remake of what the actual afterlife is like. Um, it is uh, it is totally accurate. That and is a is it was it a documentary that was filmed in real time about the afterlife? Uh, it wasn't filmed in real time. No, no, that was R.I.P.D. I thought R.I.P.D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P.D. is a documentary. The events were filmed in real time. Ghost is a reconstruction of actual events. It's like unsolved mysteries or rescue nine one one, except instead of William Shatner, you get a whole bunch of totally awesome people who are in this movie, and you should watch it. It's a lot like R.I.P.D. Except it has everything about it has a soul. Which is funny because both movies are about souls. So what are you going to do? Uh, but this one has one, so you should see it. <laughs> uh, and it has the second best use of a, of a, of a Righteous Brothers song in movies after the You've Lost That Love and Feeling scene in Top Gun. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, thank you very much, Pete. Those are inspired picks. Uh, next in the alphabet, I'm just checking my list here. Yes, I see I am correct. It is Mark Lee. Hey there, I'm um I'm in a kind of you know wizard in Chinatown kind of mood now after hearing Patrick <laughs> Pete talk about Big Trouble in Little China. Being that's my question. It really is not. No, I like wizards. I like Chinatown. Um, I got to check this out. I'm an Asian. Uh, you know, like how have I not seen this? Right? Yeah, you got to see Big Trouble in Little China, dude. It's the best. Yeah, it's the best. Son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> that's okay. it. That, yeah, no, wizards Wizards are great, uh, including everyone's favorite Cards Against Humanity card, which is being an effing wizard, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, so uh, I'm really excited to see that American Psycho is coming to Netflix. Um, this is the uh, movie, obviously, starring Christian Bale as an axe-wielding psycho, right? Um, that came out in the year 2000 and zero, 2000, year 2000. Okay. Uh, no, so, no spoilers, but I'm guessing he's also American. Uh, no, he's I, Welsh. <laughs> Christian Bale's Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> you and me are done professionally. 
Okay. Here's why I'm excited to see uh, American Psycho, aside from the fact that I, everybody tells me that it's a great movie, and uh, presumably Christian Bale does a great performance in this. Um, I know Christian Bale, obviously mostly through his role as Batman, starting in 2005 with Batman Begins. Um, but I don't really, I'm not very familiar with his work prior to Batman. I was looking through his uh, filmography, and really, in my mind, Christian Bale essentially appeared in 1992 in Newsies. As Jack Kelly disappeared for 13 years and reappeared in 2005 and as Batman. So in other words, imagine this. Uh, this is how it sounds in my head. It basically goes like, um, you know, yeah, they do in Santa Fe. I'm Batman. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I, I want the leap from Newsies to Batman uh, to be replaced by the even more disturbing leap from Newsies to American Psycho. Um, and that's what I'm looking forward to in watching American Psycho on Netflix. Um, hey, speaking of American Psycho, I don't know if you guys saw the comment on uh, episode 286, the American Hustle podcast, uh, but it was the first comment on that episode. Uh, and a commenter named Adrian pointed out that the um, something that that we had pointed out uh, that the uh, the big opening to American Hustle with Christian Bale uh, arranging his comb over and spirit gumming on his toupee and combing his hair over it um, was actually a reference sort of to that American Psycho scene where he performs his morning ablutions and and explains Mm. in excruciating detail um, the kinds of products he uses and then... uh, uh, says, you know, there is an idea of a Patrick Bateman, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. I am simply not there. And we'd made the point in that podcast that, you know, that there was a, a certain amount of cinematic metacasting going on where when Robert De Niro suddenly appears on screen, he trails behind him like a long strand of toilet paper tracked from the John, every role he's <laughs> ever played uh, on screen. And... um Adrian's point that I, I think it's a good one is that that this is like an iconic Christian Bale scene in in American Psycho, and I re, I found it on YouTube and I rewatched it and posted the link in the comments on that uh, on that episode two eighty six, yeah. and it is just an incredible um, an incredible way to start your movie. Yeah, it's also um, a, a, a metacasting reference to. Um, Christian Bale's role as John Connor in Terminator Salvation, where he's very meticulously putting together his resistance uniform and um, like <laughs> trimming his stubble to get the his five o'clock shadow to look just right uh, before he goes into battle. No, that didn't actually happen. <laughs> Salvation. Um, so, hey, guys, uh, guys, can I take a make a quick Terminator Salvation comment? Absolutely. So I found out that there, I, I have been mis, I have been misinformed, and I want to make an apology to a certain guy, a certain specific human being uh, that I have that I have been telling everyone is dead for a very long time, who is in fact not dead, uh, and this is a man who is in Terminator Salvation, a man by the name of Dante Bosco. Uh, Dante Bosco played rufio in the film hook and for some reason like five or ten years ago i became i must have caught some internet hoax or something and we came convinced that he had shuffled off his mortal coil and had left us and was very sad when i found out that this was the case but it is not the case no he's still alive and he's still doing things and he was even in terminator salvation and i'm sure i've seen him in movies and been like that guy looks just like rufio it's a shame rufio is dead right like but no rufio walks among us so people if you, this was something that was keeping you down uh, 
It is often that we have to mourn the deaths of celebrities. It is rarely that we can celebrate their second chance at life. So, <laughs> bangerang to you, Rufio. No, what? Who's this person, and what role did he play in Terminator Salvation? Uh, he was, uh, his name, well, okay, if he were a big role in Terminator Salvation, it would have actually made news, and then we would have, like, actually known for certain. But no, his name is, is Dante Bosco. Um, He's like 30, 38 years old or so, and in he, he's most notable. His most notable achievement recently is he's the voice of General Iro on the various uh, Avatar properties, the last Airbender properties, and the Legend of, of uh, Legend of Zora. Um, and then he is also let me find out exactly the name of the role he played in Terminal Salvation, Resistance Soldier. Oh no, he was in Terminator Salvation, the video game, as Resistance <laughs> Soldier. <laughs> So yes. So. Wait, which Terminator Salvation video game? The arcade one that is inexplicably in every multiplex in America, or like something for uh, Xbox and PlayStation and whatnot? Oh gosh, I'm looking at on IMDb, and it says the end begins is all the information. I it's by Halcyon Games. Um, I don't really know what are the full technical specs. It shows one tech. It just shows color. It's in color. That's all I know. <laughs> IMDb, you are useless for video game questions. Are, are you guys uh, familiar with said Terminator uh, Salvation arcade game in the movie theaters? I remember Terminator Two, the the arcade game, which was everywhere. That had serious, like fancy arcade games. It wasn't everywhere. Everywhere. It was like in all of the highbrow arcades and all the really fancy movie theaters. But no, I, I don't. There's a Terminator Salvation. Is it a rail shooter like Terminator Two was? Uh, I'm not familiar with, with Terminator 2, the arcade game, but yeah, it is a rail shooter in that, like, you know, you pick up a big plastic gun. Mark. 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 Buddy. Pal. You know, I love you. Yes. You are not familiar with Terminator 2, the arcade game? Like, the greatest rail shooter to ever exist? Like, and you're a huge Terminator fan. I am. The mind boggles. The mind boggles. Boggles. It's actually called Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the arcade game. Um, and it has, you have the Uzis. Oh. Guys, if you play this arcade game, sound off in the comments and tell Mark how much he needs to play this game. I'm not <laughs> sure how much he needs to play it, but he probably needs to play it. Yeah, Mark, you're going to have to temporarily turn in your, your uh, card, your Terminator fanboy card. Seriously, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a bit of lost for words. I have no explanation for it. You know, given the amount of time that I spent in arcades, uh, both before and after my um, uh, intense fandom of, of the Terminator series. Can you, um, I mean, isn't there some kind of hipster bar in Brooklyn where you can go play it ironically? No, 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 no. Barcade doesn't have new enough video games for this. Like, it's, it's a generation or two too new. Like, the ironic video games in Brooklyn are, like, top out at, like, the Ninja Turtle, the first Ninja Turtles one. Oh, it's I like, see. oh, so you want to play Centipede? Great. Have a cocktail. You know, which is great, you know, but Centipede, eh, I don't know. It's more like Root Beer Tapper, which is where things get dark. But, um, or right, it's, it's actually just called Tapper, right? It's like Beer Tapper, but Root Beer Tapper for Americans because we can't handle the fact that people drink alcohol. You're talking about the, the video game that the, about pouring, uh, from pouring beverages from a tap? Yes, I'm oh, they, talking they, about they, they have that at Barcade, which is which we were at, you know, for my bachelor party. That that's yes. the hipster bar in Brooklyn where you can play video games. So it was actually, you know, uh, I think a video game created by the Anheuser Busch Company, and you actually pour it here, <laughs> and it is horrible. Yeah, don't just, don't feed any quarters into that machine if you if you stumble across wait, that. Wait, the game or the Anheuser Busch Company? No, um, the Anheuser Busch Company is owned by Pilsner or Kell or InBev, right? So it's not even independently horrible anymore. It's dependently horrible. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say such bad things about beer that I'm sure a lot of people enjoy. So, but we don't endorse beer on the podcast. Wait, 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 wait. 
Like, people enjoying science. Can, can I take us down a rat hole here for a second? Yes. <laughs> we'll find out about your Netflix taste in a bit. Oh, yeah. But... yeah. No, right about the time we're closing the podcast, I'll, I'll say what mine is. Um, yeah, just a heads up, everybody. This is uh, not exactly going to be one of our more focused podcasts. Tell them. Don't tell them. They won't know. Don't... <laughs> Amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> we meant to do it exactly like this. Um, okay. You know, uh, if the potential for someone to like something were, uh, uh, you know, were proof against, made it proof against us talking bad about it, we would be out of a website, my friend. I, we would yeah. be out. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, I'll, 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 I'll read you the name of an Anheuser-Busch brand, and you guys give me the thumbs up or thumbs down as to whether you would drink it. Bud Light Platinum. Budweiser Select 55. Budweiser Brewmasters Private Reserve. Uh, Bud Light Golden Wheat. I'm sorry. I'm not even stopping to listen. Uh, <laughs> But Michelob Pumpkin Spice Ale, Michelob Winter <laughs> Bourbon Cask Ale, Michelob Bavarian Wheat, parentheses uh, of summer. I went oh, to uh, I went to to Starbucks recently and asked for a Michelob Pumpkin Spice Ale, and they said they were all out of pumpkin spice because it's really popular this time of year. <laughs> they do they do Shock Top. I don't want to be a beer elitist. They do King Cobra, which I've had. <laughs> Um, and that's uh, the malt liquor King Cobra, right? Yes, the one that comes in the yes. forty-ounce bottle, colloquially known as the Foti. It comes in other containers. But <laughs> yes. We shouldn't talk about beer because we're a pop culture co- podcast, and beer isn't popular. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, the main thing I was saying about Tapper. So the game is collectively known Tapper, but it has a less offensive name, Root Beer Tapper, because it is somehow offensive for them to be pouring beer in the original tapper there is a giant budweiser logo on the wall like it mark is not joking that this video game is sponsored by budweiser it's about somebody pouring budweiser beer for people and you actually do it from four bars simultaneously so you have to move up and down the bars while people are charging at you and like assuage their beer lust by, by <laughs> pouring beers and throwing them down the bar uh and if you don't they will rush you and destroy you um but they made they then made a root beer version uh, which does not include the Anheuser-Busch brand. And I'm not sure, I'm looking this up now, but I'm not sure whether this is because Budweiser withdrew their sponsorship or because they didn't think it was appropriate to sell like a home arcade console game that endorsed beer drinking for children. Um, I'll have to figure that out. It's like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out and like Mr. Dream's Punch-Out or what have you. Which is like, you know, maybe Anheuser-Busch had some sort of... Matt, Matt, do you want to tell us about what you're excited about in Netflix while Pete Pete does some Googling? Yes, Um, I'm untapping. Uh, untap, upkeep, draw. Anyway. So I, I, uh, I was looking through this, and I, I mean, maybe we'll just read some of these out um, just to fill time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't believe Pete. Yeah, after you said ghost, you know, you didn't move one uh, one line down because in the the article online that we have these in, uh, 
They're in alphabetical order. So Ghost is followed immediately by Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Yeah, which is awesome. And I love that movie. But, but, but there was a reason. There was a reason I didn't say that, which is that I think it was on Netflix recently. And I think it went off Netflix recently and came back. Yes, yeah, some but, of these uh, – well, so I, I actually want to talk about this phenomenon of like watching things and coming back because I have had – have you had this happen to you where you like – there's something in your queue or your list or your stack or your pile or wh- whatever they call it now? Um, in I your... believe the word is heap. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know uh, what a heap is? My Greek philosophers have been unable to define it for me. But anyway, continue. Uh, the um, well, a cue. I mean, a cue is an interesting. It's a metaphor. It's a, and it's a computer science metaphor because it's one method of storing, right? And you add things to the back of the cue, and you take things off of the front of the cue. Uh, so it's this notional idea of of like a playlist as though you ever i mean i have 200 things that i'll never watch in my queue on netflix instant but the, and the idea that i would sit down from like number one or number zero because we're talking about computer science here and just press play right and wherever i happen to be i would just press play in that and watch for 45 minutes two hours whatever uh you know eight ten twelve fourteen hours who are we kidding um, 24 hours straight to save the world from terrorists in real time. <laughs> copy that. Which, <laughs> copy that, which you could do on Netflix, but we might talk about that later. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> um, that, that idea is, is laughable. I mean, I'm the guy who got, when Netflix was just a DVD service, got Seven Samurai in all three hours of its glory out from Netflix and let it sit for 18 long months. 18 months. I packed that DVD and moved it from apartment to apartment twice. <laughs> uh, that's, before- that's quite a journey. That's like a, that's like a hero's journey right there. <laughs> Until, right. And then I finally answered the call to adventure and, and watched uh, Seven Samurai. And it was as good as I thought it would be. And it was as demanding and, uh, you know, and, and taxing as I thought it would be. And I was probably right to wait 18 months to watch it because I really wasn't in the mood until I was. Um, but you see, I had it there. They couldn't come and take it away from me unless someone like robbed me or something. You know, Netflix couldn't snap their fingers and say, ah, this DVD that you have in your actual hand of Kurosawa's masterpiece Seven Samurai is just gone. Right. And I don't know if you've had the, uh, the experience that I've had. Uh, but it sucks of going of putting something in your queue in your stack on in your, your list in your heap um, of movies to watch and being like, hey, you know, it's Friday night uh, talking with my girlfriend and like we're going to make dinner and have a night in and make some popcorn and we're going to sit down and watch whatever the hell movie we were thinking about watching. And it's gone. It's just disappeared. You know, mm-hmm. So I, I guess uh, uh, this – I mean this is something I want to talk about, but I still haven't answered the question. I realize uh, that I haven't answered the question. Before I do a word from our sponsor – no, I'm teasing. We don't have a sponsor. Um, look, there are a lot of movies on this list. <laughs> That's, that is the truest – that is a true thing that you have just said. <laughs> there are a lot of movies on this Here list. are some of the movies that are on this <laughs> list. <laughs> Would you drink them? <laughs> Would you drink What's Eating Gilbert Grape Soda? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Would you drink Some Like It Hot Coffee? 
No. <laughs> Would you drink Raging Red Bull? <laughs> I hear it, it gives you wings and shiners. <laughs> um, there are some like legitimately fantastic, and there are some fantastically craptacular uh, movies on this. I mean, uh, the Amityville Horror, the 1979 Amityville Horror is on this. Beverly Hills Cop 3 is on this list of movies. The Return are- of Serge, yes. <laughs> Um, changing lanes. I mean, oh my goodness. But I, my pick, my, the one I want to give you is a film that I think you may not have seen. Um, this is a film that I saw, you know, frequent listeners to the podcast will remember, uh, that in my deprived childhood, we were the only family on the block with a beta VCR (laughs) instead of a VH household. Yes. Yes, we uh, we chose wrong in that format war, and I think I was really into HD DVD too before uh, Blu-ray ran away with it. We um, we had Beta, and so when we went to the video rental store, uh, which and this was in the eighties, so it was not like there was a blockbuster on every corner. It was like a twenty twenty five minute drive to get to the video rental store. Um, the the Beta. VHS, the not even VHS, the beta video cassettes were in one corner of the store. Now, just for reference, in the other corner of the store was pornography, <laughs> right? So we shamefacedly slunk to the beta section. Um, now, this is where I got my love for the Police Academy movies drink. So um, I can't say it was all bad, but uh, one of the things that there was there in the beta section, and I remember getting it, loving it, and I have not seen it since then, uh, was the film Planes, Trains, and Automobiles mm. with, uh, with Steve Martin and John Candy. Um, and I, I highly recommend uh, – my, my eight, nine-year-old self highly recommends to you that you go see Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, uh, especially it's – Topical right now, given the extreme weather uh, in the Northeast and uh, in the cold parts of the United States and how um, transportation has been disrupted, there might be people living planes, trains, and automobiles um, right now, you know? And if you have, if you have lived a, a terrible flight-related uh, rerouting disaster where you, you know, you were rerouted from your destination, Chicago to Wichita due to a blizzard. Um, surely, surely there would, there would have been somewhere closer to go than, uh, Wichita, uh, cause Wichita and Chicago, not that close to one another, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, please sound off in the comments and tell us in excruciating detail your uh, saga of being rerouted, staying in hotel rooms, uh, traveling by car, by bus, by train. Um, in the back of a U-Haul with a polka band. I mean, yes. different <laughs> different movie from a, from, from a bygone area with John Candy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, still applicable in this, in this time. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's what I recommend to you, my friend. Planes, trains, mm-hmm. And automobiles. Can I also just put in a quick a quick word for Harlem Nights? That movie's really really good. Love Harlem Nights with Red with uh, what's Red Fox, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. Oh, it's so good, so good. But I won't say anything about jumping through a window. So <laughs> it's one of the great jumping through a window scenes outside of Babylon Five, which was of course purchased using our affiliate link by one of our own editors. So. 
So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> of course, there are. I mean, there are. You know, very great movies like um, uh, Mommy Dearest or uh, The Apartment or um, Breakfast now, at Tiffany's. Now, I have an issue. This list says that Days of Thunder is new. Now, I know that Days of Thunder has been on Netflix for at least three months because I attempted to get – I, I actually succeeded in getting my current girlfriend to watch it with me like after we've been dating for like three weeks. And, and that was a – that was a <laughs> and we got halfway through it before – like a third of the way through it before we gave up. So it was on Netflix prior to today. So I don't know what the deal is with this list, although I know you mentioned you wanted to pick apart a little bit what it means for these things to sort of wax and wane to come out because they're not really new, right? Like none of these are new. They've all come out previously. Um, I mean, what does this mean? Because we, we spent a lot of time this summer talking about new movies and, and the new movie coming out as being the big topic of conversation. And here we are sort of finding a new way of framing a new, a new thing, a new, a new, gosh, what would I, how would I describe it as? Like, I guess a new mold in which to pour the clay of newness before a potter's wheel on which to nakedly shape newness and new a new skin in which to pour this old wine or an old skin <laughs> in which to pour this new wine and if it were a horribly burned scientist who covered his face with the new skin uh, and it was only viable for 99 minutes and that were on netflix it might very well be but uh guys dark man anyone no okay no. i'll be i'll be over here you guys didn't watch dark mark mark baby bubby friend Buddy, yeah, friend. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. You got to watch Dark Man. That's ridiculous. You've never seen Dark Man? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I, I have a queue. I have a heap of things that I need to get to, right? <laughs> you know, upon which it has recently been heaped, has been placed the Terminator 2 Judgment Day arcade game. Mark, and I got to go to that before Mark, I get to this Dark Man. Mark, Mark, there's the Dark Man. One sentence pitch here. He's a superhero whose only superpower is that he's a burn victim. It's amazing. <laughs> he's he is, he's difficulty feeling pain. He gets a lot of adrenaline, and he's horribly traumatized. That, and he's a scientist who happened to have been working on the one thing that happens to be very useful for what he's doing, uh, and it's a total coincidence. But anyway, uh, Dark Man, even if it isn't on Netflix, something you should watch somewhere. I don't know how. You can't rent it from a video store anymore. But no, Matt, you, you said you wanted to unpack this idea of re-releasing a little bit, or of newness. And, well, and also, things- like, I mean, as we're talking about this, you know, the heap right like all these all this uh multiplicity of choice available to us at any at any given time and like what a burden that is hashtag first world problems right like what a what an awful feeling it is to be so privileged <laughs> as to ha- be able to watch literally anything that's on netflix uh, I mean, we can we can take an issue with it being a, a first world problem because I mean I know that they have movies in the third world. Right, it's a I third mean, world. Like, right, it's a thir- as as overthinker Ryan Chile is, po- is fond of pointing out. Yes, I was going to tee it up for someone else to say because I wasn't the guy who said it before. Oh, first, first world, world problems, problems are also, also third world problems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what happens? In the that guy, guys, world. that was almost in perfect unison. It probably doesn't. Yeah. So the um, right. It probably do- what? Oh. Crap. Uh, so let me tell a, a story from an earlier, more optimistic and foolish time in my life. I I used to want to improve myself. <laughs> <laughs> I used to think that I ought to know things about the world and I ought to be involved in the intellectual activity of the world and what uh what was going on and what books were being released and what critics were saying and so um 
I subscribed to many magazines. And uh, because I said the, the only one of them that survived the Great Purge is The New Yorker, which I still subscribe to, but they all sell their subscriber list to one another for marketing. And so I got cheap introductory offers to uh, The New York Review of Books. Right, which, as as uh, you may know or you may not, is a a tabloid size, a giant, like a a um, big <laughs> tabloid sized or Maybe big folio size. Would you describe it as folio size? Yeah, some something like that. <laughs> uh, with you know, with small print and many columns printed on newsprint. Uh, uh, intellectual review with with book reviews and articles on various topics, and Joan Didion writes a lot uh, in there, and I was a fan of Joan Didion because, as I said, um, I had this this sort of middle brow uh, drive to improve myself, and you know one thing led to another with these New Yorkers and these New York review of books, and uh, the London review of books got added on, which is another tabloid one, the Times Literary Supplement, which is uh, still another one and these things would show up bi-weekly they're i think all published twice twice a month and um i would throw them on the heap and i was extraordinarily meticulous right there wasn't one heap there were three or four separate heaps for three or four separate magazines and i would take the new one and i would put it on the bottom because i was going to start at the beginning and read through (laughs) you know and I was um, so you were doing Philo. You were doing first in. No, no, you were doing Lilo. Last in, last out. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 The the um, the or data. Fifo, st- first in, first out. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Same thing, right? Like in the um, the data structure is uh, uh, a queue, right, versus a stack, which is first in, last out. You think of stacking mm-hmm. things on top of one another. So um, so I had this these four separate queues. And uh, again, I like I like Sisyphus, you know. I or I dragged these things. Uh, I pushed them up the stairs every time I moved into a new apartment, right? And um, one day, I looked at this stack, this weight, this literal and figurative weight I was lugging around with me. Uh, ba- you know, the the physical manifestation of my good intentions. <laughs> And I threw it all in the recycling pile because there was no way I was ever going to read all of that stuff, right? And um, and I feel something similar about the oh, that's the and then I found five dollars. That's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I realized that this stack of newspapers or of uh, you know learned journals or whatever that I was intending to read was taller than I was if you had you know if you had put all of them on top of one another and and i i looked at that and i i thought about the the drive to or what had caused me to spend my my hard earned money in my 20s uh on these on these things and um you know this this kind of optimistic hopefulness but also this kind of sense of obligation and uh you know this thing that ought to be a pleasure like reading and and learning and finding out about the world becoming such a damn burden right and i realized that my whole relationship to this had become perverted right that that i was treating these things like an obligation like something i was shackled to uh rather than as an opportunity and th- and that's when the blue bin 
came out, right? Because that's not uh, because it was entirely voluntary. I was I was volunteering for this, you know, terrible sense of futility and guilt uh, that I experienced every time I looked at one of these things and realized, yeah, I should be reading that, right? And I think that that a similar thing happens. I, I tell this long story. Um, because I think a, sim- a similar thing happens to me anyway with Netflix, right? There are a lot of films like Seven Samurai. You know, The Deer Hunter was another one. Super I wanted you to go like The Magnificent Seven, for example. It's a lot like The Seven Samurai. <laughs> the, the Magnificent Seven, The Seventh Seal, Seven <laughs> Brides for Seven Brothers. <laughs> seven. Um, Just Seven. What's in the box? Yeah, sad, <laughs> sad seven. The uh, the <laughs> sequel to Furious Six, in which we <laughs> mourn the passing oh. of, of our beloved comrade Paul Walker. Um, Guys, you heard the autopsy is out, right? Did you hear the shocking news from the Paul Walker autopsy that they don't want you to know? What's that? No, I what? <laughs> he died in a fiery car crash. Is what happened. He had no drug. Nobody had any drugs or alcohol. It was thermal and like uh, and and concussive trauma. That's so, terrible. Yeah, I mean, I that is Continue. awful. <laughs> that is awful. But there was no. There's no conspiracy. He just. He just was in a car that was going too fast when it hit something and blew up. But uh, continue. You were saying. <laughs> but we're going to we're going to market this podcast on Facebook as what they're not telling you about the Paul Walker <laughs> autopsy. <laughs> um, I I there are so many films like this, and I I feel like the queue, the stack, the heap, the the list, whatever the the heck it is. Um, the net, the, the, like the bin that you put your movies in, um, for them to disappear from when you're finally, you know, cooking some popcorn, actual popcorn on the stove that you went to some trouble to cook. Cause it's going to be a special date, a night in together that you're going to watch this film and, you know, have a good time. Uh, and then it disappears. Um, this idea of the queue, right. Is like primarily a guilt assuaging device. Because the films are there to stream. They're always there to stream, except they're not, right? But they're, they're, they're there today and they're there tomorrow. And, like, let's, let's uh, you know, evacuate for the moment the idea that the films are disappearing or, or reappearing. They're still on Netflix. You don't need a queue, you know, to find them. But the queue allows you to say, ah, handled. Yes, got it. That film is in my queue. And whether or not I actually want to watch it, uh, which I never will because I am too busy watching every episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine right now. (laughs) And whenever we fire up Netflix, my girlfriend and I, uh, we go right to the Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's And it's right at the top of the list because in the Netflix interface now, the first thing you're confronted with are the continue watching, uh, you know, series, stuff you're in the middle of or series you're in the middle of, right? And it's the first one, top left position on the screen. And we tap it on the, the screen of the iPad and it goes to the uh, Chromecast and, you know, Star Trek. But I have, you know, 200 great works of cinema in my queue um, to assuage my guilt from, uh, uh, you know, from things I, that I feel like I have a sense of obligation. I really ought to be watching. I really should be watching. I don't know. Am I the only guy, uh, Pete and Mark, do you use the cue in, in the same way? And do you have this damned sense Talk of about that. Just, obligation? Just, uh, 
I want to bring up this quick note about the semantics of this, right? Because we've been sort of jokingly tossing around like Q and list and heap. I do like, I like the, I think I should install some like a browser plugin to rename the Netflix Q to the heap. Um, I think that, that would get a lot of enjoyment out of that. But Netflix is very aware of this idea that like the Q um, is, does not accurately describe how people are using, we're using that feature of it. Um, right. That's why they renamed it to the list, right? It's yeah. called my list now, right? It is still in order, right? And there's all these features that have always been there to reorder things as it's like to prioritize, um, what you're going to go through here. But it, it, it I think there's a common, like the default fault understanding of how this is supposed to work is just like it's sort of a list of bookmarks right, right. that not are not necessarily meant to be worked through sequentially it's just like as i'm browsing through netflix um i'm like oh i want to watch that at some point and just boom 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 pop yeah. it over right well the idea of it being a queue is an artifact of when of how it was used in the dvd delivery system right wherein it was a way of making people feel okay about the fact that the movie they all they wanted to watch the most wasn't necessarily going to be available so they could get something right wasn't there like i mean i never had it but isn't that how it worked you put in a queue and mm-hmm. the highest movie that was on your queue that was available would get sent to you yes yeah. and sometimes yeah. the new releases or stuff uh, you know it didn't happen to me because i was too busy <laughs> filling my queue with crap like seven samurai and and the deer hunter that you know i i hauled from apartment to apartment around new england but um yeah it, it if something was like new it might have limited availability and so you you could you know that could be number one on your queue but you would get your your number two movie i mean the the other thing that's changed is that the the whole star rating system is completely different, right? You guys remember the Netflix prize where they would award a million dollars to the person or team who could improve their ranking algorithm yeah. by 10% because that was a real, you know, that was a real kind of com- competitive advantage that they had that they could predict based on what you liked uh, already what you would like in the future. Turns out it's an, it's an entirely different calculation um, for something that you're going to put on a list and get in a, in some number of weeks uh, than, than it is for something that you can just click and watch now, right? It's oh. just, you know, hmm. that the, the instant streaming, the instantaneous nature of it and the kind of the impulsive, like, yeah, go, yeah, go. It's not a considered decision. It's yeah. just push, push, push. Um, like that's a completely different, uh, uh, sort of psychometric and their, their, uh, their algorithm is now more or less, uh, useless for that or for that new, for this new situation. That's really interesting. No wonder Netflix recommends like four different 50 cent movies at the same time, because there's no way that those are really the four movies I should be watching. Yeah, it's all like for me, it's like, oh, hey, 50 cent was in a bunch of stuff that went straight to video. You have no taste, right? It's like, hey, Stone Cold Steve Austin was in a movie a couple times. You have no taste, right? I'm like, thanks, Netflix. Really appreciate it, Netflix. Thanks very much. Jeez Louise. Do you guys share a Netflix account? What do you share a Netflix account with like roommates or a significant other or something like that? Yeah, well, I, I, I share it my, with my wife and uh, for a while our um, various viewing habits were horribly confusing Netflix's recommendation engine. Well, right. Or, do, um, or does Netflix it recognize has this by Netflix is addressed this by creating uh, multiple profiles, right? So that when she's watching, she switches over. Um, and like mainlines, uh, bones is what she's been doing recently. Um, and then I switch it over and then like watch random clips from, uh, commando, which is how I use Netflix. <laughs> you just like go back and forward through it. You're like fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, play. No, I go basically, so I go back basically to that enormous shoot em up scene where he infiltrates the compound and just like lets loose with a machine gun and mows down like 
a hundred dudes in one minute. I go to I watch that scene with more frequency than I would like to admit. Someone else talking about their Netflix doing habits. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it no, happens. It happens for us. It happens for my girlfriend and I. Uh, as well, right? But but what I find is that there's like a there is a bimodal distribution of um, I'm see I'm looking at Netflix to get our recommendations now, uh, right? So we have a um, we have a uh, uh, a row based on her preferences uh, that says because you watched How I Met Your Mother, uh, I recommend The New Girl, uh, White Collar. Um, Oh, it's always it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I'm not sure the new girl and it's always sunny in Philadelphia have a, a great deal in common, but but okay. Um, and then uh, because I watched um, Food Inc., I think, or something like that. Uh, there are all these all these progressive documentaries on here, like uh, Forks Over Knives. Oh, and they're all food related. Sushi, The Global Catch. TED talks about food and, and things like this. So it's not, um, maybe they've sussed us out. There is this sort of bimodal distribution in, in the kinds of recommendations, uh, that we're getting. And now it's just, it's, uh, it's always sunny episodes. Now it's just Bob's burgers, which is halfway between food Inc. And it's always sunny. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I've, Offer to let people share my Netflix account, but nobody wants to. So, so it's it's all like westerns and and like goofy romantic. Would you like to share Pete's Netflix account? Films. What's up? Sound off in yeah, the comments if you would like account. to. Yeah, <laughs> Pete will email guys, you his guys, password. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so nobody nobody shares my Netflix account, and it it reflects all the stuff that I watch, which is like a combination of comedies, like sappy romantic movies, like hardcore, like low taste action <laughs> extravagances. Uh, it did one at one point recommend to me a Steven Seagal vampire hunting movie that I didn't know existed, which I began watching, and like even I couldn't last more than five minutes, ten minutes into that one, so that was kind of rough. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of movies I watch on Netflix for only. How about that? There's a lot of movies I watch on. Netflix Netflix for only about five minutes, and then I turn it off. And I don't know whether Netflix thinks that I liked it. I don't know whether – is Netflix trying to get me to click on the movie or watch the whole thing? Does it measure how long I watch it for? Because, like, I didn't watch the Stone Cold Steve Austin movie for very long. You know, like, I didn't watch the uh, the Steven Seagal Hunting Vampire movies thing for very long either. I certainly didn't watch, um, what, The Long Way, Long Way Down which is the sequel to Long Way Round, which is it's a movie about Ewan McGregor riding a motorcycle for a really long distance, and it's like a documentary. Um, I only watched that for a bit. It's like a series, actually. It's like a series, documentary series from Britain that I watched for like 10 minutes before I was like, all right, this I can't tolerate. Um, it may really... I want to watch Blackfish. I don't know why. Uh, I think. I mean, everybody seems to like it, but I think I get the gist, which is, you know, like, oh, you know, Brendan Tully is awesome. No, sorry, that's a joke. Uh, oh, <laughs> horribly mistreated. He really can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I watched Free Willy. What? He really can uh, fire that arrow and hit the uh, hit the yeah. boat as it's <laughs> rolling away. Hit fire that arrow of liberal righteousness and hit that that flaming boat of sea entertainment. Yeah, no sea sea world sea world bad whales vicious killers. Uh, you know you guilty right? Like there you go. Yeah, I get it. I know. I'm not in favor 
horror of the imprisonment of killer whales, but I'm not going to entertain myself by watching their suffering. Isn't that worse? Isn't that just the thing that you're telling me not to do, is entertain myself by watching the suffering of killer whales? Um, but anyway, I, that's like a very, very minor nitpick, and I'm sure it's a fine film. Um, I hate the various, like, the juicing, what there's like fat, sick, and nearly dead. I started watching that, and I couldn't tolerate that. Did you watch that one, Matt? No, I, oh, you know, I didn't. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, Forks Over Knives is before it in my queue, so by law, I can't uh, watch it until I've watched the earlier movie oh i got by juicing do you mean like a a documentary about steroids usage no it's a documentary (laughs) about taking vegetable matter and reducing it to liquid form (laughs) that's what it's about oh okay all right yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) okay so (laughs) let's circle back to the big idea that we were been dancing around with this entire rambling episode of this podcast which is that um you know when um Around the, the the turn of the new year, people you know realized that there was this big transition going on with the Netflix movie library. That uh, old favorites like Top Gun were moving out, and then Netflix was gaining all sorts of random stuff. You know, like Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Ghost, Ghost, Dog, The Way of the Samurai, and Spaceballs, for example. And um, I, what I think it's done it has caused people to reflect on the fickle nature of um, this uh, of of the media market right now, right? How we are, um, you know, a certain segment of the population is, is just dependent on what Netflix is serving up to us. Um, and uh, this is a, a market shift from a previous era, right? In some ways, like, we're, we're anxious that there's, like, that, that uh, we have less control in some ways over this. That we're, there's some increased consciousness of how um, the, the media streaming rights and, uh, and, and, and studio politics and things like that are influencing what we're able to watch. Are those the sort of anxieties that we're talking about here? Um, I mean, I would say that that's part of it. I think that there's a more basic anxiety that's also a little bit more entrenched in our way of thinking and difficult to, more difficult to suss out. I'm trying to remember the name of the philosopher who said this about McDonald's, um, but it's an, it's an idea that there are these uh, you know these symbols and discursive signifiers. I mean, it have, might have to do with hyper hyper reality, I guess. Uh, which is let me let me Google that really fast so I know who it, who I'm talking about. Um, well, but it's the idea. Like that, just drink for discursive signifiers. I think. Uh, as well as I think. Are you talking about uh, about Baudrillard? Yeah, Baudrillard. I'm talking about Baudrillard. Drink for and that. And it's this. Idea that we don't know the actual world. We know like a map that has been pasted over the actual world, and that's all that we know at this point because it's been we've been so separated from the reality of things that are happening. And I think one of I think it might be one of Baudrillard's examples is like how the golden arches create this idea for you that the food that is coming out of this place is infinite and of a consistent quality, right? And it's like, oh, there's this, there's this, you go to this place and they give you a burger, right? And it's like, you can get as many of these burgers as you want. They're going to cost a more or less stable price. They're going to come out, you know, like more or less the same way, right? Which, which totally belies the reality of the diversity of beef, the beef economy, the finiteness of food supplies, right? The finiteness of, of resources like topsoil and fertilizer, like just there's whole aspects of the agricultural supply chain that are not just sort of perverted by fast food in the sense that it has a consequentialist ill effect in your health, but more like you don't understand them because ideas of branding and ideas of kind of, constru- of you know, 
post-structural notions of constructing things. I can't I can't think of the right terminology right now. Um, they they can make you they convince you that these are not the, this is not the case. So there's an idea attached with Netflix that you can go on Netflix and you can find a movie and watch it, right? And there's this idea that these movies are going to be available for you. They're going to be free for you. They're instantly streaming. Um, and then when that when the idea kind of like Eh, like kind of grates with your idea of what Netflix should do a little bit. It's a little bit unpleasant. Like, oh, it doesn't have any good movies, you might think, or I've seen all these already. But like the idea that the movies on Netflix would just stop just abruptly one day, they'd be like, sorry, we didn't make any deals and there are no movies left. Is like it's like unthinkable for us or for Netflix because of because of the unreality that Netflix's brand has come to represent. Um, this this unrealistic notion of where movies come from that they can stream infinite and of course i'm sure we could have a bunch of pro pirate people being like information wants to be free it can stream free forever from anything with no cost that's nonsense everything has a cost you know like even if it's minuscule fractions of sense right to transfer this data from place to place there is a, a point at which this actually has to be done by people or by people who make machines do it right and so like it's, it's i think that yes when the Netflix schedule changes, when like the Netflix kicks off a hundred movies and brings on a hundred movies, that this there is an idea, and we can back up and talk about this too, of like, oh, there are contracts that change. You know, I'm worried about Netflix's relationship. But I think on a much more basic level, it's like, oh, like this questions for me what I think Netflix is and Netflix does, uh, which is you know provide for instant streaming movies that just sort of happen to be there magically. Right, like um, I know, I can talk about the inside baseball of which movies end up there, and but I don't really believe, I don't really internalize and intuitively feel that these movies are there because specific people are signing specific contracts, mm-hmm. right? Like you know, it, it's like it's more like it's a magic box, um, you know, with its drop shadow and its sans serif blocky font that promises as much Stone Cold Steve Austin as you can stomach, which is about yeah. 15 minutes. Magic Box but. is a good way to describe it. Um, this, this sense of like not, of not knowing what exactly is going on inside of it, and um, these things are sort of uh, appearing at, at the whim of, of the wizard in Chinatown that, that controls this sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, right? it's Lao Pan. Yeah, Being exactly. an effing well, I mean, wizard. Like, <laughs> I mean, let's compare this to our relationship with the video store that we talked about before, you know, where you got the porn and the Betamax in the shame corners, right? Like, that wasn't necessarily a magic box, right? I'm riffing on this in real time here. I'm thinking, like, you know, in some ways, like, we we went to the video store where we understood that, I mean, if it's an independent video store, we just understood, like, it was that guy who decided that these are the movies that should be stocked and did it. And Blockbuster, uh, I'm a little bit less familiar with it, but it's just sort of like, you know, corporate says that these movies need to be on the shelves and the movies are on the shelves, right? Is it just because it was a brick and mortar thing and we saw actual humans that we're um, less inclined to think of Blockbuster as a magic box and more just sort of like, you know, people decide that movies are going to be on the shelves? I mean, this, this also, this matches up a lot, I think, with our conversation about Amazon that we had a couple months ago. I think it's like, they're like converging. It's interesting that Netflix and Amazon and Blockbuster are all kind of converging because they are converging in other ways, too. This, like, creation of the magic box when we, with the case of Amazon, we had the conversation where it's like, oh, all this stuff is happening automatically. We think it's all being done by computers, but really there are giant warehouses full of people working to put things in boxes, right? Like, and, the, and that's, like, actually a really important and really expensive and really big part of the business, right? 
And but they don't want us to see it because they want us to think of them as something that happens entirely by computer, right? And then like with Netflix, it's like, oh, we want you to go on here and feel like you could find whatever movie you want to watch on impulse at any given time, you know, within certain constraints. But we want to create that experience for you. And with Blockbuster, it was like, yeah, we want you to come in and we want you if you want to watch Happy Gilmore, it's going to be there. There's going to be 150 copies of Happy Gilmore because it would be so disruptive to our idea of the magic box that this store is supposed to be for Happy Gilmore to not be here. Right, like that's why you think of us as a magic box, as opposed to video store down the street, which you think of as a purveyor of goods and services run by a very nice Korean co- uh, uh, family, which was the one that I used to go to, Video USA in Ridgewood. Um, but yeah, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I like that. Place. Okay, so you, you're distinguishing then the mom. You're distinguishing the mom pop independent video store with actual human beings uh, from Blockbuster, which is more of the magic box thing along the lines of Netflix. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, I'm saying that the ex, the customer experience that is being created by a place like Blockbuster or Netflix or Amazon is aiming to create the impression of a magic box. Okay. You know, and, and whereas well, play, a mom and pop shop, sort of by definition, is a, 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 a an establishment create the experience of a relationship with a family, right? Like it's like, oh, these are people that you know, and these people provide like recommendations, and they'll get. You assumptions about availability and how that sort of thing works and like who the money is going to. I mean, in the end of the day, they might be very similar and it just might be matter. Like they might, they're legit scaling issues, obviously, but you could have like, it's sort of like the difference between Walmart and Costco, right? There's like big differences in the way people perceive how those stores. Whereas I think a lot of the, a lot of the, more of the stuff is, is going to be similar in a grand scheme of things than you might think. I mean, obviously a lot of it is different, but like, you know what I mean? I think that the cultural difference is something that happens so independently from the logistical and operational stuff. Um, yeah, so when movies uh, appear and disappear from the Netflix library, is that reinforcing this idea that this is a mysterious magic box that we don't understand, or is it undermining the magicness, magical quality of the magic box? No, it's Netflix? it's the latter. It's the latter. It's undermining yeah, the, ma- yeah. the magical quality of the magic box, right? Like the idea, the idea of the magic, the magic box is, you know, um, something that that Karl Marx called commodity fetishism, right? And the idea is that the 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 commodity masks the means of production. You know, you look at a finished product and you don't see, um, you know, you don't see the labor that produced it, and you don't see the the conditions of the labor, but you also don't see the the fundamental economic relationships. Um, between labor and capital, uh, and between sort of oppressors and oppressed that, that produced, uh, the whole thing. You know, you watch Terminator Salvation, you know, you don't see Christian Bale yelling at that cinematographer, you know, you see, uh, 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 like a C minus of a movie, you know? So, uh, you know, the, the, um, whenever you see the strings, whenever something disrupts your, your seamless experience and makes you realize that, oh, hey, um, there is an underlying economic relationship here, uh, the details of which I'm, I may not be totally privy to, uh, What's happening to you is akin to the to the sort of Brechtian alienation effect, um, where you are your you know the the work of dramatic art is is telling you something about the world that you live in. You're getting information that you did not seek about the world you live in. You're getting it whether you want it or not, and it's uh, it's disrupting it's disrupting the sort of seamless experience of commodity fetishism. Um, it's disrupting the magic of the magic box. 
Yeah, I would say it's probably, as you describe it, it sounds like how conspiracy theories also kind of work. Um, in the sense that, that you know, you hear, oh, there's this thing that they're not telling you about. About, about Paul Walker's autopsy? Yeah, exactly. So the secret thing they're not telling you about about Paul Walker's autopsy. Here's the thing. They're not telling me anything about Paul Walker's autopsy. Like those people, I don't know who they are. I didn't talk to the people who did Paul Walker's autopsy. Am I, is my intuitive belief that there aren't people out there having conversations about Paul Walker's autopsy that I'm not privy to? Right? Of course there are people out there having Paul Walker's autopsy conversations that I'm not privy to. They're like, when is it happening? What building is it in? You know, like, oh, oh is Jim doing it? No, Jim's on lunch. Beth has to do it. But Beth just did the last two. I think she's kind of tired. You're like, well, so you don't get to make that decision for Beth. Beth makes that decision for and it's like, it's, it's like there are going to be things you don't know. There are going to be things that happen that you're not aware of. And bringing them to your attention as if, as, as if in, in the context of, the, of merely the act of bringing them to your attention, merely the fact that they become apparent to you is a sign of sinisterness, right? Is a sign that evil is being done. Um, it is, I think is a sign magic box way of thinking, either in terms of like sort of a Marxist way in which it's a commodity fascism thing or a hyper reality way, in which case you're sort of like reading a, pro- you're reading a projection onto the thing, right? Like there's a bunch of different philosophical schools that describe this phenomenon of like the magic box. And I think that if you get angry, if you find out this sort of information that you don't know about, then, you know, you've probably made some assumptions. I mean, the Seneca way of looking at it is like you have an insufficiently robust understanding of your Netflix if you get upset. Right, like that's the stoic way of looking at it. Is like you should be fine with Netflix changing its schedule because if you didn't, that means you didn't study what Netflix is about it, how it works, and it's your own fault. Right, like you should understand the truth, uh, and in that sense, not worry about things that are you know, anger. It comes from an insufficiently robust understanding of what happens. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of different philosophical phenomena to describe this sort of sense of upsetment. But we live in a world governed by magic boxes, or not not governed by them. I, that, that 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 skips the message. Like we live in a world that is you know tented with magic box colored tablecloths, right? Like where everything around us is is positioned to us as a magic box to simplify uh, our uh, our our active interacting with all of them to make it so that we can even comprehend interacting with all these complex systems that we interact with on a daily basis. Something as simple as paying your water bill is like a magic box, right? Or like paying your heating bill, your rent, right? Where there's a ton of things that go into that that you're not privy to or that you don't want to know about, and you just hope that it goes smoothly and get upset when it doesn't, right? Like, um, like this I mean, you know, where... where like this podcast. You guys listening to this podcast probably don't know that I have Mark turning a wheel that's about the size of, like, about the size of a Dodge Caravan, right, like, around, like, in terms of diameter. Uh, and he has to turn this wheel and grind this, this, he grinds this sort of millet into, like, a fine powder, and then there's a salt water flow that goes over it that turns into a salty paste, and that this paste is then eaten by a dog that then runs on a treadmill that causes the overthinking of podcast up to iTunes. Um, but you don't want to know the truth because I feel there's like a whole bunch of things that the world doesn't want you to know. Yeah. We're more a mom and pop store, though, don't you think, as as websites go? I hope you have a closer relationship with us than you have with um, BuzzFeed. Uh, th- yeah, exactly. <laughs> BuzzFeed, The Atlantic, um, where you can find your own uh, Netflix genre generator um, and, and a pretty good article about how uh, – how Netflix reversed engineered Hollywood, which is another. Uh, that's a uh, how X Y Z. That's another great, you know, title. Uh, 
how X disrupted Y, right? Like is a, a, a great title paradigm other than what they're not telling you about X. Um, so yeah. listen, it's probably, it's probably time, uh, for us to wrap up, but speaking of being a mom and pop store, I just want to, uh, tell everyone that you, you still have a day, um, to uh, fill out the Overthinking It 2014 Reader Survey. We're asking about uh, your opinions of, of uh, what you like on Overthinking It and what can be improved to set our direction uh, for 2014 because we are a mom-and-pop store and care about... Um Care about what you think, uh, so uh, you know the we're, we're gonna as an incentive to participate. If you if our love your love for us uh, for your mom and pop us uh, is not uh, enough, um, we're giving away an Amazon gift card to one lucky person who fills in this very short survey, which you can find on the website. Oh, and I, I just want to say because we published it as an article on the website, all the people uh, on the uh, all the people on the survey are say are you know saying things like uh you know more articles i don't like all these podcasts i never listen to the podcast and as a podcast listener i i just want to warn you make your voice heard so that we devote resources to podcasting and to these new media things that we've been doing in in the uh in the coming year, you know, so get, get on their podcast audience, uh, on the website, um, go fill out the, uh, the reader survey that you will find there. Uh, if you want to talk about Netflix, about magic boxes, all sorts, or about, um, really anything that's on your mind. Cause that's what we did today. Uh, you can email us at podcast overthinking it.com call 203-285-6401 call or text 203-285-6401 or leave a comment on the show notes. We'll be back with more overthinking it podcast next week. Until then visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't does deserve. deserve. <laughs>now that we're done i'm gonna go check out uh, i'm gonna load up netflix i'm gonna watch some gory independent violent movies based on real life set in india from the 1930s about september 11th excellent i'm gonna i'm gonna uh watch some art imaginative thrillers based on classic literature about royalty for hopeless romantics <laughs> i'm gonna watch a nostalgic tearjerker tearjerker evil kid fantasy movie set in asia about friendship nice add them all to the heat